the newest episode of the Rotten Core starts now ish. Mm-hmm. If it didn't already start before, because we were uh, recording some stuff, I don't know where we were in that discussion. So maybe we should just start all over. I think How's we that? totally should. Yeah. This episode of the Rotten Core is going to be a little bit less about politics. Um, we do, we're going to do our normal media analysis thing, but rather than like analyzing a movie and then trying to apply it to politics, we're kind of just going to analyze these films and let them for the most part exist in the space that they want to, which is not necessarily always a super political space, although there is political elements here and we will obviously touch, touch on that. Um, but the movies that we are talking about today are the never ending story and night on the galactic railroad. Um, one movie that most people, or at least a lot of people have heard about. And one movie that, uh, maybe no one, <laughs> at least not very many people who are listening to this have heard about. There's 10K views for the Galactic Railroad uh, on YouTube, which is the only place I can find it. Um, uh, so, Key, do you want to say anything about today's episode? Yeah, I mean, I guess what I want to say is that both of these films, while they have things that kind of complement each other and also like I think we're going to draw like a lot of comparisons there. I feel like the subject matter of them are different, but the like essence of the movies are about like moving through something um, yeah. in some way. But I guess I want to make a note of both these movies, I think were books far before they were, um, whether they were, you know, turned into a movie or, you know, anime for the night at the uh, night on the galactic railroad. Um and both of them are fantasies. And so I think it's really important to know that these are like children's fantasies, like discussing deep topics, really. And the intended audience is like a younger audience. So I think that's what's probably yeah. the most, you it, know. One interesting thing is that neither movie is American made. Uh, these are not Hollywood films. One of them was made in, would you say, Germany yep. for The Neverending Story? And then. Not on the Galactic Railroads, obviously, it's an anime, so it's obviously, I assume, produced by Japan. I mean, I know the guy who wrote it's Japanese. I had I was reading about him earlier. Um, but suffice to say that I guess this is an interesting these these two movies are good examples of an in, of the interesting different ways that other cultures um make art for children and what that says about the way that they view children and one of the things I really appreciate about these movies is despite the fact that they're very obviously intended for a child to digest, I would compare them. Uh, this is going to be a weird comparison. If you haven't seen the, the new, the new Pinocchio, I would compare them to the new Pinocchio. And in that they're very, the, the subject matter is very difficult, you know, emotionally it's sophisticated. Um, and, and I want to make an addendum and say I'm pretty sure you're talking about Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio yes. and not yes. that that uh, Tom Hanks ass bullshit. I'm just kidding. I didn't watch it, so I don't I, know. If it's I bullshit. honestly don't even know that I didn't even know that Tom Hanks made one. So I it came out right before, yeah. and it was a Disney one. It, it apparently was really bad, but I'm not a right. Disney person, so I you know yeah. I would I don't know. Um, right. But I just wanted to clarify that for people out there thinking that we're talking about. a because I think they came out in the same year, both last year in 2022. So, like, I don't want people like, oh, yeah, this is deep speculative film. And they're like, 
that shit with Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, another thing about the Del Toro movie is Del Toro, whenever accepting an award for it, he said that this is not uh, a children's movie. He's not, he says it's not a movie for children. Children can watch it, but they should watch it with guidance from their parents. Mm. And I would say, I mean, I don't know that that his film is harsher than these films. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was, I mean, it was, you know, about grief and loss too. And, you know, maybe we should have also included in this episode, but my point is, is that the American sensibility or at least the Western sensibility, I think Del Toro, he's not American, is he? But he's definitely Western. He's not American. No, I forget where he's from. I listened to a couple interviews um south america for sure i'm pretty sure yeah uh but anyway so like the western sensibility in general is kind of like i don't know uh softer in a way in in a very specific way on kids in that it kind of like babies them you know what i mean it infantilizes them in a way that is like maybe like demeaning to their own like you know, ability to understand and think about complex topics. You know what I mean? And then like, I definitely agree. And then in a weird and like in a weird perverse way, we, you know, sexualize children too. So, I mean, it's like, what the fuck? We're schizophrenic about this issue. Oh yeah. Well, definitely because there's a, you know, adultification of children, but also there's like, okay, listen to children's media. Let's make it like, uh, even if it's intended for a 10 or 12 year old, let's make it like it's intended for like a one year old and they don't, they don't know anything. Right. Um, It's, it's treat kids like they're stupid, but expect kids to um, receive uh, responsibility well or something, you know, the the nineties movie Matilda sums it up. Right. It's just like you're an adult. It's the time you started acting like one, but she's five. Right. Or she's six. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I just think that's, you know, so funny. Uh, also, quick note, Guillermo de Toro, he's Mexican, he's from Mexico. So okay. um, just yeah. to get that right. But um, yeah, I mean, also before like we get, I mean, you know, get into into it. I think the, the fact that in other cultures, like you said, people in, in cultures that aren't like Western and by that, I basically mean canada and united states as i know of they really like used to tell tales of like intricate stuff to children like all the folk tales and like um grimms and um forgot the other dude his name starts with an a but all those um oh, aesop fables and stuff like that they used to be really really dark and they still are in those original countries but over here they're very sanitized so when we learn of like the stories they're like way like more um palpable uh because if you go back and read them they're scary (laughs) they're scary and it's like oh the kids were doing and they did it so they could teach the kids a lesson but in these cases they're not scary it's just more so like really deep and i feel like these were both films that i think if i would have watched them as like a 10 or 12 year old i would have like oh wow finally someone wants like it's making something serious for me right yeah and it's not just like a they're, they're both colorful in their own way but i don't think they're just a beat i wouldn't say that about them well spoilers from here on out in case you haven't seen these movies i'll repeat the names night on the galactic railroad and the never-ending story uh night if you haven't seen night uh you probably have seen never-ending but if you haven't seen night it's on youtube stop listening right now and go watch it because i'm gonna because spoilers from here on out but uh what i what i was gonna say is 
Um, one of the things that I was, I, I wanted to say that like, you know, I'm not so, I haven't, I don't remember like growing up being scarred or traumatized by media, except in mostly rare cases like Stephen King's it. Um, normally I was scarred and traumatized by like life events and oftentimes media that I watched, uh, in, in ways it's like a safe environment to you know contemplate and and maybe you know like be presented with things that would that would be traumatic and a lot of times you know art is is cathartic and and it and it tries to resolve trauma in in its own context but i will say that the horse scene is famously traumatic for most people that that watch this movie uh the horse scene meaning where artax the protagonist's horse and companion dies in the swamp of sadness um in the never-ending story um this is like a lot of people talk about how traumatized they are for as being like children and watching this and all of a sudden this horse is dying and it is a very sad scene the actor gives a great performance um it's very moving and uh gut-wrenching i don't know do you, what do you want to do you want to say anything about that well i'm certain that uh i well, i'm not certain but i feel like the kid should have got something i don't know i don't know how many awards the movie got i do know that it was a like success financially. that that scene is so iconic it's one of the i feel like for people who have seen it at least and i do think that there's like in the newer generations there's a bit of, ge- of a generation gap of people who haven't seen it because it is an older film it was made what would we just it's Black a night- Railroad. Oh well, um, Neverending Story came out in 1984, and then Galactic Railroad was 1984, so they're both 80s. Right, yeah. So these are 80s films. So I mean, you know, even though I grew up on them, being born in 88, I didn't start watching them until like I don't know. It must have been the aughts. Um, so I mean, they they I guess they had some some cash for a while, but uh, you that was the first time that Matt had seen the film. Uh, yes. And I saw it once as a kid, but I, I had a very uh, loose memory, as we'll get into when we talk about the, the the characters and plot, because I remember kind of the zany characters that they introduced, which is because it was a book, and this was meant to cover like the first half of the book, um, these characters are going to be more important in the second half of the book or the second movie. Um, right. But I remember the movie being like almost only about them, and they're like, <laughs> get maybe less than 20 seconds, 20 minutes. Yeah, they're total. hardly... They're hardly yeah. in it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think we talked about the part that they're there as to, like, establish what's going on in the film and yeah. in the storybook, but, like, it could have been done by the narrator. So um, it was a little awkward. But, yeah, that's what I remembered. And then um, Galactic Railroad, I had never seen it before um, today, actually. So, and I would say, as a millennial, which um, my friend very calls me that, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just born in the 96. I feel uh, more in tune with a lot of stuff from, like, the 90s, 80s, and early aughts, but at the same time, there's like missing pieces for the, you know, I, I hadn't seen this movie, and there's lots of 80s and 90s movies that I've never seen, so I think most people my age and younger probably haven't seen Never End of Story, unless they were interested in household. Um, that's just a guess, you know, but it's... Well, um, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that it's like really, it's, it's held up, like I... There's a lot of live action stuff um, and like stop motion and animatronic stuff that 
the very first time I saw it, I was like, I don't know, but it holds up really well for being at this point almost 40 yeah. years old. I'm surprised at how good this movie looks. Uh, the Neverending Story. I, I think Night on the Galactic Railroad has some good scenes. Um, some of the some of the scenes are very well like drawn, and it's got like, really really nice. I guess would you call it camera angles? Uh, you know, uh, very good, very good angles and like uh, I, I don't know. But the pacing, I feel like on the Galactic Railroad is kind of bad. But beside the point. The point is, yeah, I agree. Neverending Story looks great to this day. I would say there are parts of this movie that look better than anything that's out right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I know that's bold to say, but the, the turtle, the big, you know, the big sneezing turtle. Oh my gosh. Oh so my cute. God. It looked, it looked so good. You know, yeah. like I was like, wow. Like I feel like this turtle is like real, you know, like this could be a real thing. Like, obviously it's fantastical, but Anyway, it felt um, like something that should be in a 4D movie theater in the early 2000s. Remember, we're doing 4D stuff sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> when he sneezed, maybe the there was like a big fan that would go in the audience. That's what it felt like. It felt something like campy. Oh man, that would be an experience. Uh, but so I wanted to I actually wanted to say about earlier you were talking about those like characters, those like throwaway characters. I actually really like the Rock Giant, mm-hmm. and I think that maybe. He almost by himself justifies that whole like waste of time. Uh, I think that he turns it into like not so much a waste because he's he's the one who first introduces us to the central uh, villain or antagonist, uh, if you want to call it that, of of the never ending story. Um, And he described it as as a nothing that was devouring everything. Um, And that is one of the central themes of this uh the the nevering story outside of just like grief right which is kind of like the similarity between these two films uh the grief is uh this this the nevering story also deals with additionally nihilism and i would argue the kind of like uh postmodern nihilist uh era of like you know um we'll get into this a little bit but like i th- i think that like the the film and i I, th- I remember reading somewhere that the that the guy who wrote it uh was that that this was what he was doing is pushing back against um what uh nietzsche was predicting with like the death of god and uh you know not the advent of nihilism and like a big meaninglessness kind of purveying society um I don't I don't remember where I read this but I read this years ago and it's it's always stuck with me uh one of the things I've remembered about the neverending story is that the the author apparently um was like super anti nihilist and wanted to create you know like some kind of movement or religion or something along the lines of like rejuvenating like meaning in the world he thought it was like like this like nihilism was like a real problem in the real world it wasn't just some like movie device and so like the the nihilism in the film is is supposed to be there's like a there's like a political uh element to it as well Mm -hmm. yes it definitely is and this guy it's it's hard to say i i kind of was looking into this when i was i was trying to look up like the director 
but the person I, I, who... I didn't hear what you said. You you were cutting out there. Oh, sorry. I'm basically the person who wrote the book that is um his name is Nicole End, I think. Or Indy, Indy. It's he's German, so you can just say end because it looks like end with an E. Uh but so End basically did not want this movie to be made. He um and I mean this is free information, go look it up on Wikipedia. It's just a quick bird, but the long and short of it is that he was working with the director, uh Peterson, to, you know, make this into a movie and he sold the rights to the book and then after a while they rewrote the script. He didn't like and it was so much so that he was like deviated from the original message. He didn't like he, he didn't like what you cut out there. You, so, so, for some reason, your mic is like it's like I hear you sometimes, and then it's like you fade away or something. Maybe you're, you're too far away from the mic or something. I don't know. Hold on, just a sec. I mean, that sounds way better. But <laughs> does it sound does it sound any better now? I mean, you're not fading right now. I'll let you know if it happens again. Okay, sweet. Um, all I'm saying is just like, the person who wrote this book was not on board with the movie. And I think that's kind of says something to, um, something that we should kind of keep in mind. But like, we're talking about this movie and I, I really like this movie. Um, it's going to be something I'm going to definitely show my kids. But um, it's important when we know, like, you know how we talk about art and artists and the separation and blah, blah, blah. It's important to know that the person who created the, the basis of the story, um, he didn't, he didn't like this. He, he was like, this is not, not what we should be watching. But the, the, basically the, the, the rock biter though, that you were talking about. I like oh yeah, such a great character. Yeah. Uh, he's just, as soon as I saw him, I was like, he's so cute. I think I was more obsessed with the, um, Oh gosh, there was another character that I saw that I was like immediately obsessed with. Now I can't even remember because there's so many little, like I said, there's so many like weird little characters that it's like I don't know why. Well, there's the rock biter, there's the the bat rider and his bat, and the snail rider and his snail. And it was the snail. Snail was so cute. Yeah, and I think there was one other person there. And the rock biter shows up, and he basically tells the story that the nothing is like eaten. It, it, it ate the. It was like a, there was a lake. It ate the lake. Uh, it it ate all of the mountain. It ate all the people. Like this just ate them. And then he said there was just nothing there. It was just like there was just nothing. It was gone. Which is like, I think it's the the movie obviously is trying to depict things a lot of times. And so like whenever the nothing in the movie actually sweeps stuff away, it's like a hurricane and it leaves behind like black storminess of like you know just like vaguely uh it, it's black or whatever. But like. I think the idea of this, like, nothing, as, as he was trying to, like, trying to describe it, was, like, just total void. It was, like, it was deleted, you know? That part of reality was just gone. Um, which, again, is this, like... So Fantasia uh, is, is the setting. Which, what was the guy... What was the, the name of the place that the guy originally in the original book? It wasn't Fantasia. It no, was... It, it's, I'm gonna get it up for you right now. I was yeah. just thinking that it's... But it, yeah, good. It's I want to say it's called Fantastica, but let me. Just... I think that's what you said earlier. Yeah. So yeah. Fantasia in the in the movie Fantasia, um, it it's 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 all set in a book, right? And so like first of all, um, 
the drip in this movie is fucking great. The the way that these uh these bully kids are dressed, I was like, wow, I need that bag. Right. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so like it, it, basically what happens in the movie is uh, how do we get here? Uh, a kid, he's being bullied. He runs away from his bullies. They chase him into a bookshop. Uh, old man uh, tricks him into stealing this book. It's a magical book. He takes it to the school. He goes into the attic. He starts reading it, and it starts transporting him into a magical world called Fantasia. It's like Fantasia's real. It's like this is like this. The meaning in in of the page in this book. It's like it's real. It it actually exists. It's real. So, I mean, it's a very like. It's almost like a ham fisted, like no, actually, meaning is important. You know, by saying like this this story is like a real place. <laughs> um, but. Anyway, yeah, so the the voiding out is a voiding out of this of a story. Let's like I mean we gotta remember that like the the nothing doesn't actually touch society in the same way that it touches the characters of Fantasia. Mm-hmm. But it there is a presence there because the dad, I would say, is an example of this like this like postmodern nihilism. Um, because that guy was fucking psychotic. Okay, can we talk about the very... Listen, everybody <laughs> who watches the movie, I want you to look very fucking closely. Listen to me when I'm talking to you. I'm, I'm talking to you specifically who's listening. At the very beginning of this film, the young kid, Bastion, is getting ready for school. His father is, like, talking to him, giving a little pep talk, talking about moving on from... um. Bastion's mother's death and all these other things like paying attention to school but what he's doing don't give don't pay no fucking mind to what he's saying watch this motherfucker put orange juice in a blender and then crack an egg a raw egg into the blender blend it up pour it into a cup and he drinks it i swear and it seems like such a background thing when i saw it i was like what is wrong with him like <laughs> I, you know and and also so we talk we talk a maybe little it's about, a german thing i don't know no <laughs> absolutely not and, and also if if you look it up and you tell me that it is and you email uh the rotten core pod at gmail.com and tell me that it is a german thing no it's not you made it up um, <laughs> yeah you wrote the article <laughs> <laughs> you really you wrote that part into the movie so i don't know <laughs> um but i i think what's was kind of weird is that like we talked about how in children's films in good children's films they frame the whole movie through a children's eye, right? So, like, when he's getting bullied, we feel like we're getting thrown in a dumpster by these bullies. Or when they do the cheeky thing, the, the bookseller at the store, he says, these books, this book isn't like the other books. It's not safe, so don't open it. Don't touch it. Obviously enticing the little boy to get the book. Yeah, like, he, like, creeps out of the frame like a freaking villain or something. Like, <laughs> you know? Yes, and it's, and that's, how, that's how Bastion's seeing him. And so the only thing I could think to make sense about the orange juice egg scenario, scandal, um, <laughs> is maybe, like, Bastion just, like, you know, not paying attention. If someone asks him, like, oh, yeah, what'd your dad do this morning? Oh, yeah, he put, like, an egg into a blender and, like, orange juice, right? Like, you know how kids just, we just, you know, we're paying attention to our own world when we're a child. So. Yeah, I just I hope that that's a part of the fantasy. Well, maybe um, <laughs> maybe he made a mixed drink. That's my that's my thing. Like, because I know sometimes mixed drinks have egg in them, and you know I don't know enough about mixed drinks to tell you which mixed drink it would be. But you know maybe like he just didn't actually put the alcohol in because it's a kids movie, or maybe because 
like you were saying, if it's from the perspective of Bastion, he, this kid don't know what fucking alcohol is, so he's he's gonna be like, I don't know, my dad ate fucking orange juice and eggs, you know, doesn't know that you know it was some alcoholic beverage. I don't, I, I'm just trying to make sense out of it's this. So senseless. bizarre. It's, there's a lot of fantastical things that happen in this movie, but that I. I guarantee you it's the most bizarre thing in the whole entire film. I actually yeah. want to go back and watch it to make sure my eyes saw what they saw. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's that bad. Um, but speaking of dads, the, his dad is like there at the very beginning film and absent throughout the rest. Like we don't even see him like looking for Bastion when Bastion's up in the attic of the school reading this book and it comes to life. And then there's like a thunderstorm and school lets out and we don't see anyone looking for him, which I think yeah. is not realistic it's like they would definitely come looking for him right he wasn't in yeah. his classes all day but he went to school um i mean this let's be real this kid even though he's obviously utilizing his freedom in a very constructive way i mean not very constructive because he's not attending class but he's he's reading a book so i mean whatever we'll give it to him um he's being abused right and the abuse that he's being abused is it's neglect he's this kid is fucking severely neglected not just by his dad but by his fucking teachers it's like nobody gives a fuck that he's not at school um and you know he's being bullied they're throwing him into dumpsters and shit and they're chasing him around and beating him up all the time you know and so like he's a very neglected child Mm -hmm. seems like he doesn't have anybody out there who cares for him It, it seems like the the devious um book salesman who tricked him into stealing a book so that he would be transported into a you know a weird dimensional portal it, it seems like that guy was the most uh gave him the, the most caring person in the fucking cast you know well, actually he probably was because literally like everyone else like you said pretty much ignored him like even his dad like his dad just kind of like lectured him for a little bit it was like hey you kind of gotta get over stuff and it's just like i i speaking of my very nuanced way in my adult way like saying get over stuff to a kid or to a person in general it's just not great especially when it involves like trauma and i would consider losing a parent or losing a loved one that's really close to you a trauma right so like yeah. and this it's seems like, like this is fresh yeah. like it's not like a it's not like been years it seems like it's been less than a year yeah it seems know. like the, the real message of that little pep talk so-called pep talk was um don't be a problem for me i don't want to have to deal with you as a problem mm-hmm. Yeah. seems like really what the dad was really saying you know he's like it, it, like he's putting it behind this veneer of like oh it's it's all concern for you but really it's like you're annoying <laughs> you know like, yes. like I, I don't want to deal with you and your problems like figure that shit work that shit out on your own kiddo <laughs> well would you say that connects to what because when we were watching the film together you were saying something about like the directors wanting to kind of focus on this would you say postmodern, like time period where people are like uh i don't think people had cell phones because i think it was supposed to be set in modern day but people are like really busy every single adult we see in the film is kind of like walking and moving um do you do you think that like the kind of neglect the emotional neglect and also physical neglect because no one looked for him um by his dad is like kind to try to portray the nihilism of the real world of like you know he doesn't care about anything about except for like going to work and doing his business and stuff you think there's a connection there yeah so um so so i brought up nietzsche and i'm I'm actually going to read a passage from nietzsche at some point but um nietzsche was writing in like the 1800s right and he the the condition that he was writing about at that time 
uh, in his own words, was on its way. It wasn't here yet. Um, and it, I, uh, for a lot, a lot of scholars, a lot of you know, uh, cringe term academics, intellectuals, will say that's that's the that's that's a, that's neutral ground as I can go. Um, a lot of them say that we kind of like got to that condition at some point, and they called it postmodernism. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different definitions of postmodern. There's there's an architectural definition of postmodern. There's a philosophy of postmodern, but the kind of postmodernism that I'm talking about, and I don't really want to litigate which is the the postmodernism, um, is is the is the postmodern condition. Um, and my familiar with familiarity with this, and the reason I bring up Nietzsche in its context is almost yeah, as far as like actually studying it is almost entirely from this guy named Rick Roderick, who has this fucking awesome like college level um uh, uh video series that's on youtube there's this playlist by the partially examined life um i highly recommend it it's got like 13 hours of college lectures from this guy and they are not boring they are fucking riveting college lectures on you know various subjects um but for the most part they're they're on generally speaking postmodernism and the the 90s i would say apparently were very characterized by postmodernism as a condition of society like that's whenever a lot of people started like outwardly saying like we're there we're we've arrived at this like this nihilistic um you know you know like there's the modern period where where we're 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 invested in science we're still we're still religious we still believe in god you know we still think we still as as one one way of i've heard it put a lot is that we still believe in like meta narratives right like these like overarching um stories that kind of like sum up a worldview and and kind of like give us a sense of like direction and meaning right and the 90s is considered to be a point where that was just fucking gone. And now this movie's made in the 80s, it's made in 85 and it seems to be I would say anticipating that it it <laughs> it it's 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 anticipating that cuz I mean in the dad, you know, he's kind of displaying it. You know, and and the the idea of like the nothing as being this like terrible, you know, uh thing that's sweeping through society. And, and gobbling everything up like that's i feel like that is all kind of like an anticipation of this like mood and this malaise that kind of like characterized a lot of like the the 90s but also like has continued to this day um and so what was your question i don't uh, that was all pre, well, pre pretext <laughs> no no <it> was, <laughs> the question was basically do you think that and i think you answered it it was do you think that the dad the way the dad's basically acting and in, in in like through his neglect is like reflecting the nihilism in the po like in this kind of postmodern yeah. world in the real world um as like because I, while i do think nihilism is being like pointed out as a state in the the book the like the never ending story actual book that bastion's reading I feel like most of it is a way for Bastion to process his grief. Um, From his mom. Yes, because the yeah. nothing to me is like depression. Um, yeah, and, well, well. so we, we've talked about how much the rock, how the rock biter just slaps. Like uh, at the end of the film, uh, there's this 
fucking really really like depressing monologue from the rock biter where he's like they look like big strong hands and he's like looking at his own hands and like fucking massive hands they are he's like they look like they're big strong hands but they couldn't hold them and basically he's talking about how like his friends were like sucked up by the nothing and i'm just sitting here thinking like this dude is strong enough to hold back things from getting sucked up by the wind it's not the it wasn't the wind it wasn't the the spooky hurricane of 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 death it was death that took his friends you know and like it doesn't matter how strong you are you can't just like punch death and defeat it you know you can't can't just stop it it. yeah and so like that is i think i think that that's confirmation of what you're saying about like it's not just nihilism it's also grief you know of like his mom probably because it, it doesn't seem like he cares about his dad i mean it, at least i wouldn't if, if no. I, had <laughs> I mean there's no really like true figure to um to like mirror that whereas like the rest of the film there's like a mother and a wife uh, not mother and wife um a um a husband and wife like the kind of like healer guy and his wife who kind of help uh uh you on his way in the journey mm-hmm. um there is the little girl at the end who's like the you know the empress and i feel like she symbolizes his mom um and also there's all those titties uh there's all these sphinx statues that have like big old titties on them Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. not to be like one of those dumb asses but a lot of times in um it's it's fine let me just recreate that here's the thing lots of times in like in you know the people are like oh well this image is clearly phallic and it can just be a cylinder right it's, it doesn't have to really look like anything yeah. related but i i do think that there's like uh intentional and even like subconscious messaging and having um like women around and even in figures and they were like kind of statues right. and they were those, the ones deciding you know those titties were yonic as fuck okay yeah <laughs> like uh, oh it, can we talk it, about the castle yeah because the castle uh was a vagina yes it was oh my god i just remembered we all we all collectively realized that while watching the movie it is a it is a vagina and they flew into it um right in the clit right, <laughs> right in the into clit. the clit yeah go if you watch that movie again just just think about the shape and and just the shape of a vagina and it's it was as vague one to one as <laughs> you know it was just just as vague as george o'keefe's paintings if you know what i'm talking about right like, right it yeah was, i mean pretty much who knows but i think all those like messaging when you see stuff like that where there's clear like obviously that, that probably wouldn't be clear to a kid but like stuff like that means like to me there's like a big uh and i hate to say this every, well everyone here y'all know i'm like not binary there's a big like feminine presence in the um in the like kind of background which to me all of that represents his mom to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie is very like philosophical, even psychological really for like a kid. And um, gosh, there was something I wanted to say about, oh yes. Um, there, there's something about like the way it's set up that reminds me of like, you know, traditional folk tales. And again, this is a German movie, probably a German book as well, but it reminds me of the Wizard of Oz a lot because there's like three big, task for Atreyu to go through like three big gates so to speak you know and I feel like those metaphors are really good in children's films I think Wizard of Oz was like intended for uh, every audience it wasn't like but I I think it was probably maybe a children's book I'm not sure but if we remember the Wizard of Oz like as he 
like Dorothy goes along, she finds friends, but she goes through all these different things. And at the end, she finds the um, she finds Glinda, um, the Good Witch, and I think I'm saying that right. <laughs> I've been watching so long, but basically, she's like, "Yeah, how do I go home?" It's like you could you had that power in you all the, the whole time. And at the very end of this movie, Bastion's just like talking to the Empress, and she it's like, "How do I fix this? Like, how do I fix the depression? How do I fix this?" It's like, "Well, you can't fix death." You can't right, bring people right. back. You can't do that. You can do this in the story, but you yeah. can't bring people back. But you yeah. can you can move on with your life. You can find things. And he he asked her, "How many wishes do I get?" And she just kind of smiles at him, like, "You get however many you want." And that yeah. is really kind of to me, kind of asking like, "Well, if I get to move on with my life, like, like how can I do like how can I do that?" And it's just like you can in any way you want. Like happiness is still out there. You can still find all these things. Yeah, it's, it's up to you and the limits of your creativity. Yeah. In a way. I mean, also, it's, you know, uh, let's not go there, but it's it's a limited by your material circumstances, you know, which well, is kind, I of, mean, kind of depressing. Yeah, that's, that is true. I mean, honestly, because, like, if Bastion, as much as his dad is, like, neglectful and everything, his, his dad has some type of, like, business type. He was, like, in a suit type thing. So, like, he... He has, and I'm not saying that we can compare these things, but, like, he has, like, a lot of trauma, but it doesn't seem like he's hurting for like mm-hmm. money or food and i think that would be a different thing because if he was maybe maybe he'd be a little bit like giovanni and had a, like a job after school and you know he couldn't be a bibliophile and like read books all day he would yeah. have to like you know and it'd be probably harder for him to kind of cope with these things too but um well was, I, I, yeah do you want to start juxtaposing it with you know giovanni's story yeah, we should, and maybe you can. I mean, you gave the uh kind of rundown for Never Ending Story. I'm gonna try to give a rundown for. Well, there's so there's two things I want to actually cover before we before we start <laughs> sort of moving on. For it's not really totally moving on. Uh, one second. Hello, babe. I'm in the middle of a podcast, babe. What's up? Oh yeah, that's fine. Anyway, yeah. So there's two things I wanted to I I want to talk about before we leave the never ending story one is i kind of want to read the parable of the madman um because it's so fucking good uh and it's very like applicable and two i really want to talk about the the fight scene it's not really so much a fight scene but with gamork you know the the wolf that serves the nothing yes so i guess first we can talk about uh gamork so uh, the dialogue in this scene is is great. So he's so Gamork says, um, "Don't don't you know anything about Fantasia? It's the world of human fantasy. Every part, every creature is a piece of the dreams and hopes of mankind." Um, and he says, "Therefore, it has no boundaries." So yeah, I mean, he's talking about like creativity, right? Mm-hmm. we're talking about like idealism creativity and so he says but why is fantasia or, or what's his name says why is it dying and think of says because people have begun to lose their hopes and forget their dreams so like so nothing grows so the nothing grows stronger and then he says what is the nothing he says it is the emptiness that's left it's like despair that's destroying this world and i have been trying to help it he says but why and he says, because people who have no hopes are easy to control, and whoever has the control has the power, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, I guess, like, the the reason why Gamork is, like, encouraging this uh, this nihilism is because 
when people aren't like don't have anything like beyond themselves to fight for you know um then then they're easier to corral you know uh, at least according to Gamork. and yeah i think there's there's some truth to that maybe you know i don't think you necessarily have to have life all figured out like in like oh i have profound meaning before you're like you know you have yearning to be free but you know i i do think in aggregate it is a yeah, it applies. Mm-hmm. Um, but since I'm reading shit, should I should I should I read the Batman or, uh, or what? Yeah, no, go ahead. Okay, so, so the Madman goes. Have you not heard of that Madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours and ran into the marketplace? Now this is basically the mall is where he goes, right? Which is not a very serious place. And he cries incessantly, I seek God, I seek God. Many of those who did not believe in God were standing around just then. He provoked much laughter. Has he gone lost? Asked one. Did he lose his way? Asked the child. Uh, Is he hiding? Is he afraid of us? Has he gone on a voyage? Blah, blah, blah. They're laughing. Uh, The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. Whither is God? He cried. I will tell you. We have killed him. You and I, all of us are his murderers. But how do we do this? How do we drink up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the horizon? Now, uh, the the whole death of God thing, people always like, I'm sure you've seen this like dumb trope online. Nietzsche's like, he's like a nihilist, man. He's like so nihilist and like, and like, he's like, like also like atheist. You can't be atheist and say that God died because, because a modernist atheist is just going to be like, uh, there is no God to die in the first place. Right. You know what I mean? And and you can't write this fucking... Because this is... Like, he's not saying this is a good thing. We're, we're about to see, like, how, like, he thinks it's, like, a really bad thing. You can't think the death of God is a bad thing and be, like, a nihilist. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if, if, you, if you're, like, pro-nihilism and, like, you're, like, excited and giddy about how, like, nothing matters and there's no meaning, then, like, you're not, like... You're gonna be, like jazzed that people like have lost their locus of meaning anyway um so all of us are as murderers but how do we do this how do we drink up the sea listen to these metaphors who gave us the sponge to wipe away the horizon what were we doing when we unchained the earth from its sun whither is it moving now whither are we moving away from all suns are we not plunging continually backward sideward bloody blah um do we i'm gonna skip a little bit do we not hear as of yet, the noise of the gravediggers who are burying God. Do we not smell uh, the divine decomposition? God, too, God's too decomposed. God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? I, I could keep reading but basically from this point forward he looks around he's like he like throws his fucking lantern down he's like mad and he's like i've come too early uh my time is it's still on its way it's still wandering hasn't reached you know the ears of men basically like he's saying this too soon people don't get it yet Mm -hmm. um and and then he he finishes by saying uh what are all these churches now if they are not the tombs and sepulchers of god so basically, like, 
the idea is that like, you know, God's corpse is still around. Um, but like the idea that people like really believe in God and like, they're willing to like lay their lives down for it. And, you know, and he's not necessarily saying that, you know, like, I don't, I don't think, I mean, Nietzsche wrote a book called the antichrist. So I don't think that you, that you would like, you know, and he wrote this whole, like, he wrote a bunch about like slave morality, like coming from Christianity. So I don't think that he's like, oh, we had to have Christianity. That was the thing that we had to have. So it's, it's <laughs> not like, but like at the same time, he's not sitting here and he's just like, and it's good that it's dead, you know, like it, obviously he probably wants something else other than Christianity to be the kind of like, I don't know, fucking locus of meaning in the world. And, you know, people say that it, that for Nietzsche, it's like creativity and shit like that, which is, it's interesting that I would say that's the same thing theme in the never ending story uh because uh w the whole solution to the nothing is bastion has to name the childlike empress yes and so he has to come up with a name right he has to be creative which is like basically in a very low resolution sense that's nietzsche's solution right is yes. to is to be you're, creative you're basically saying well well, all this is saying, it's, it's, it's interesting because you got to this point, but I was actually going to say this to kind of bridge over between both of the films, but um, like in, in Neverending Story, creativity is the religion. And I'm saying religion in a sense, I, I, I don't know how to explain it right, but I'm saying it in a, in a sense that... No, it's the ahead. source of meaning. It's the source of meaning. Yes. And, and yes, and something does. you believe in. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and, but as we'll find out um, with Night of the Galactic Railroad, um, religion is religion. <laughs> right, right, right. I don't think God is dead in the Galactic Railroad yet. No, no. But I do want to, this is not super important, but I think it's kind of a nice quote to bridge into the next film, which is, um, I heard it on a podcast the other day. It's a podcast called uh, The Program Audio Series. Um, I don't think it needs a plug from a small little thing like us, but uh, they are an independent podcast. It's sci-fi, it's futuristic, it critiques capital and kind of the social condition. And it's very, very, very cool. But um, in one of the stories, one of the characters was talking about, do you know what the difference between, you know, uh, a, a couple of things are one man believes in an invisible man. They call him crazy or mad. And he goes to a, you know, a place but uh, a whole bunch of people believe in the invisible man and they, uh, they, they call it a religion. And yeah. um, I say this as someone who is religious myself. So please no, don't, don't, don't get too hurt at me, but I'm saying all of this because basically in children's media, I think like the idea of imagination and belief is really, really, really important. And if we take that in a, in a sense of like, okay, we're going to make it a belief as in something that already exists or something that can be created by our imagination. And both of these films do that. Um, I guess it, it depends, but I just wanted to say that quote because I think it kind of, uh, it's a nice little quote to think about. Like yeah. with, with Jess Giovanni, he, he's going through a lot. Poor little cat boy. Um, he's going through so much, but I, I think it, it feels like it's all in his head, but also I'm like, it's real because it's the only thing we really see. Um, yeah. But yeah, but there's there's a lot of stuff there. But um, whenever you're yeah, ready. No, yeah, I fully agree. And I guess we're now onto the leaning and heavy to the night on the Galactic Railroad spoilers. Um, yeah. So double ultra mega super spoiler warning ahead. Um, yeah, I think that 
Yeah, so like the first 30 minutes or so of the film, maybe like almost, yeah, it was about the first 30 minutes of the film. There's no, it like, like he's not really like dreaming. Like maybe in the first like 20 seconds of the film, he's like, he's like dozing off in class and it's like the camera's panning down into the schoolroom and it's like as if he's having an out-of-body experience and the teacher's talking about some really like big-brained ideas about like, you know, like cosmology. Um, and like the Milky Way, and then the Milky Way is a theme in this movie. It's kind of a metaphor for the train tracks, and for like this kind of like the structure. The film's structured it's like almost like a bunch of like mini 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 stories, right? You know, like because people like board the train with them. We'll explain here in a minute, and like each one has like a different story, and like the Milky Way, like being dotted with stars. It's kind of like this re reoccurring motif of like all these like people's stories along the tracks of the train. It's like the stars in the Milky way, or there's some comparison there. Um, but anyway, so like, yeah, he's vaguely, vaguely foreshadowing dreaming about that with the teacher kind of monologuing over it. But quickly we find out that his dad is gone. Right. And that he doesn't have very many friends and that he's kind of, he's almost bullied a little bit in school. I think least. I would say that he is bullied in school because like, it was like in the type of bullying where like if you tried to tell a teacher, they'd be like, Oh, that's just talk. But basically another by the way, they're cats. Sorry, we gotta these are cat they're cat people. Not even cat people, they're just cats who have they're on their two legs for yeah. some reason. <laughs> that's really important to note uh for later. Um otherwise it's just like a cute, you know, cutesy yeah. thing. Uh yeah. but one of the like bully cats kind of says like oh, uh, you know, Giovanni's dad's not coming back because he left to go do this and he was going yeah. He do this, but he maybe he's in jail now. Maybe he's, mm. and they're like snickering. And Giovanni actually squares up for a second, and then the bell rings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so... he's, about to, he's about to clock him, and then the, he's saved <laughs> by the bell. <laughs> but um, what we're also introducing this scene is Giovanni's maybe one friend who's not even doesn't seem like a super close friend. Um, I forget his name. God dang it, Camp Campanella. Campanella. Yeah, Campanella. So like Campanella, kind of like uh stands up for him a little bit in class i think if if i remember correctly basically you can tell that like campanella's not a bully and he's at least warm towards giovanni right yes yeah and Gio- giovanni likes him um so giovanni's clearly a nerd and campanella is clearly a chad uh you know <laughs> that's i'm saying it now you know Camp- giovanni is a soy boy um and so like after school, um, he has a conversation with his teacher and then he goes to work. He's like most, I don't think this little cat boy is over 12 years old, by the way. Right. I can't, I can't imagine him being in like sixth grade. I think maybe he's 10, maybe yeah. fifth grade or something because yeah. he is, um, and, and I'm like, is this motherfucker like creating papers? And he is. And for all you young folks, he's doing typesetting, yeah. uh, which is what they used to do in the ye old print shops, uh, yeah. which, you know. Maybe and in thirty gets, years we won't even have newspapers. So who and knows? He but. Paid like five cents or some shit for a day's work after school. It's like crazy. Like he gets off at night. You know, like he gets off work at night. Like he's like it's still middle midday. It seems like when he gets out of school and he works all day till night. And it's like here's five cents. It's like God, good lord. Um, which by the way, uh, he buys like a loaf, a big loaf of bread, and it looks like a pound of sugar for like three cents. So I mean purchasing power inflation's crazy um 
but back yeah, in but, my day, it was only yeah. three cents. <laughs> in three cents, we could have a whole meal. Yeah. <laughs> um, he goes home and his mom is there. So even though his dad is absent and it's like vague, it's like, his, is his dad a criminal? Is his dad locked up? Is his dad on adventure? Is his dad dead? Nobody really knows. Just knows that he is an absent father. But his mom is there and she's sick. We don't see her. We don't even see her. We just hear her voice from the other room. And we also know that he has a sister who I assume is also working because he was, he was like, oh, no, your sister. I mean, he, I do that a lot. But um, basically, Giovanni's mom tells us that the sister straightened up and did some housework today and made some soup. So while he's eating soup, he's like, oh, dad's going to come back. And dad's going to get me this. And the, the mom's like, yeah, sweetie, of course. But it seems like she's sick in a way that like she's really sick based on the fact that we're not seeing her. Um, I don't know if we could say that she's like, what would you call it? Like a chronic illness type person? Because we don't see her at all. Yeah. Maybe she's got lupus or Lyme disease, you know, something like that. Some kind of, what do cats get? I don't know. I I don't know nothing about diseases, much less cats. (laughs) She got that cat disease. All right. Yeah. So she got something. Crippling cat disease. Um, but what was I going to say? Oh yeah. So like, so basically what's being established up to this point is that like, this dude is isolated. This dude is lonely. This dude is dealing with traumatic shit all the time. He does not have a very strong support network. His, his sister who seems to be the most like able bodied together, mature person in his life is nowhere to be seen anyway. So it's like, he he does not have a lot going for him and he there we were talking about when we were watching it today like how there were scenes it seems like he's like fucking disassociating like he just like zones out and stares off oh yeah and and i think the so once again this film is this is animated and um obviously like it's very um since it came out in 1985 you know we know that was you know hand-drawn and cell animation most likely and all this stuff but the um the look on Giovanni's face is almost like someone who's always zoning out pretty much. Like I think he smiles a couple times in the film or he makes a shocked face where he opens his mouth a bit, but maybe, and it's probably for money reasons why his face is always the same, but his face always looks so shocked. And there's other cats in the background who have like big eyes and eyes that are like his and they're, they're like, aren't closed or anything, but he Mm. looks so fucking like, like he's out of it the whole right. time which i mean understandably if he's working at a place at, right after school his sister is probably presumably working too his mother's sick so sick she can't get out of bed and his dad is not there and has been gone for long enough for people to notice right so um the the guy who wrote the never-ending story the, on his wikipedia page there's a section uh titled japan and it says Michael Inde has been fascinated by Japan since his childhood. He loved bloody like basically he was like really into like Japanese stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and even like um, yeah. So so the 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 writer for Not on the Galactic Railroad, um, he is writing this. Not he's a Japanese guy, but he's writing it in a setting of like vaguely like spain or holland or something um Mm -hmm. i think i think we found out today that the characters of the show speak esperanto right 
Yes, and th- that was because it was a tribute to uh, the person who originally wrote the bo- book, Kenji. Let me let me let me get my glasses here. Kenji Mia Mia Miyazawa, I think. Um, and but he wrote the book. Well, he wrote it in 1927, but it was uh, published as a nine chapter thing posthumously in 1934. So like, this is an old book, right? And it took a long time to adapt it into like a, a animated film. And mm-hmm. um, but he uh he really was really really fond of esperanto i guess as well and that's why the director who made the you know movie in 1985 did did, like made homage to that i think is that what i'm seeing here or maybe it was a yeah 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 it was it was was the original writer themselves and it was really strange because (laughs) at one point they were going it was when giovanni's going to get some bread at the market and i'm like what language is that? And I go on Google Translate. I take a picture. It can't acknowledge. I'm like, is this Dutch? Is this French? Yeah. This came. I was like, I know a little French, and I was like, I I know enough to recognize it, and I also know enough Spanish to like be able to read it with like a little accuracy. And we couldn't figure it out. So it, that is a very cool note. And you, do you want to like mention what Esperanto is for people who don't know? Yeah. So I mean, we found the reason we found out is because there's this article uh, that explained it to me <laughs> that 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 it was esperanto um and where where oh geez where did it go yeah right here it says it is in it, so it says i'm gonna go back to the beginning of the sentence let's back up for a sign of the moment blah blah it says the name the, the words on the sign all screen text say for the names opening credits appears to be some sort of mangled romance language it is in fact esperanto a language constructed by a polish scholar in the late 1800s in hopes of fostering a more easily acceptable worldwide community i think of it similarly to the common tongue in dungeons and dragons it probably wouldn't be your character's first language but the idea is for it to be everyone's second language um bloody blah this so this article it's uh by con artist brendan and it's on conartistblog.com uh that's that's neat i guess con like yeah cool conartist brendan so thanks for that brendan uh thanks for explaining uh esperanto for our listeners um but yeah so yeah it's like it's like a it's like it's supposed to be like some like vaguely universal ish language constructed out of multiple different languages that all of those languages should be able to like like the idea was like for them to have learn it as a second language you know mm-hmm. and so they would be able to communicate with each other which is kind of neat it's a neat idea at least it's a what 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 would we say today it was it's a it's a non-colonialist version of what's happening with english right now (laughs) yeah that basically yeah because i was i was thinking about it was like it's it's, oh common it's kind of like how if uh if you're you know in the united states or canada and you like go to pretty much any other country you could probably get by because pretty Mm -hmm. much everywhere else is learning english Although yeah. we're not really necessarily on the whole learning other languages as much as we should be. Yeah. Um, but but back to it, I really do. I mean, this is like a, a departure, but I, I feel like if I don't mention it now, I'll get distracted. So as far as like character design, these little cat boys and cat people are just so cute. But what's really yep. interesting is at one point, there's like this little cat baby kid toddler who's like running out of the house and this cat mom following. And she's like trying to put him on some pants, but like, Giovanni's just in the vest, and <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, some people only wear pants, some people only wear a shirt, some people don't seem to wear anything, and it's just like 
it's, 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 it's just such a small thing, but I just think it's kind of funny and cute because it's like, what's the point? And also he's just like, oh, I have to go get milk. Uh, he, t- he tells his mom like, oh, they didn't drop the milk off. Uh, at the, I have to go get milk. And that's what starts his journey. But I'm like, you can't drink. <laughs> You're not supposed to drink that. Like, yeah. also, why do you have bread and sugar? What, you know? <laughs> yeah, what a, what a combo. Just like I, the basics, I guess, right? <laughs> I can't get over the fact that he's a cat. And and, and it is it becomes, like, once again, like I said, more striking later in the film. But um, an, another thing I wanted to say is that in the same, so Never in the Story kind of reminded me of Wizard of Oz a bit in the kind of, like, way it had the, different stages and this one reminds me of alice in wonderland a little bit yeah because we start off if you i don't know if it's like this in the movies but in alice in wonderland books it's really like she's just like living her life and then she's reading and what we find in real life she like falls asleep or something it's like Mm -hmm. he's living a regular life and then he goes to go do something and he goes to this one spot and i think he even lays down well, so um, he runs a bunch of errands, which is another thing that's like really uh, a, a neat difference between these two movies is the kid in Neverending Story has like no responsibilities. Like he just like, yeah, he's ignored and he's neglected. They're both they share that. But like the kid in, ne- in Neverending Story, like doesn't have jack shit that he has to do. You know, he but this this kid in in the the train movie. Uh, God dang, I can't remember the name. Night on the Galactic Railroad. Uh, he's got he's got to go like buy he's got to go buy milk for his mom he's got to bring her groceries like he bring he bring first he brings her sugar and bread but then he's like oh I got to go out and get your milk because they didn't bring it this morning he find he only finds out after he gets off his work you know so it's like this kid is just like you know got a lot going on and yeah so like he t- so suffice to say he lays down in a field at some point right um there's a festival that's going on in town he says that his to his mom that he's going to go and she says stay away from the river which is foreshadowing but um so he lays down in in this field and he like it seems like he probably dozes off right and then he has this crazy vision of a big ass train and it's like about to run him over it's like right the there and it's one of the first times i think in the film where they go away from this very clearly like drawn um like stylized style to like realistic like the train looks like a real freaking train (laughs) like for a second it's really detailed but i think every time they yeah it's jarring but it's and it's not in a bad way like i think it adds so much to the film but it's jarring because up until this point the film feels really slow like real like paint like i was like oh i'm gonna fall asleep not because it was boring but it was just so relaxing so slow yeah. so dark and so the yeah. train comes and then it looks like a real train and it's like all right you got to get on and it's like what, what what's what's going on and this is yeah. um a strange because on his way i think off of work he ran into someone um who dropped a ticket and they were like i gotta get my ticket i can't miss the train right and it was yeah. just really weird to say to a young kid like yeah you know so but now there's a train and he he hops on yeah there's so much foreshadowing in this movie and speaking of which so he's like really freaked out by the train at first because like people like disappear and and, like it's like where is this train going and all this kind of stuff um but uh someone joins the train with him sits down next to him and it is campanella and campanella says some really cryptic stuff that at first (laughs) You you might not understand what he's saying uh, on a first listen, and if you're listening to this right now, you've been warned. But Campanella says, you know they they tried to 
to catch up with me, but they couldn't. Um, I'm actually gonna like play it so I can I can like hear exactly what he says. Where is this Campanella? Campanella, right there. He says they really tried. Others all ran after me, but they were just too late. Even Zanelli, one of the bullies, ran as fast as he could, but he just wasn't fast enough. So are they waiting for you somewhere? Says Giovanni, and he says Zanelli's already gone home. And then he looks at his jacket, which is wet, and father father came to get his father came to get him, and he starts patting off his wet jacket. And Giovanni says, "What's wrong? Your coat's all wet. It looked like you're covered in dew or something." And he says, "Darn it! I lost my." Uh, he he just changes the subject. I lost my canteen. I must have dropped it, but that's okay. In saw saw station saw coming up. So he's like changing the subject, right? He's like not directly talking about or answering the questions here. He says this shit, and it's if at this point it's kind of probably obvious uh, what I'm getting at is uh, uh, Campanella is dead. Okay. Yeah, he's because, gone, baby. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the foreshadowing of the river, obviously, you know, put two and two together here. Dude fell in the river. That's why he's wet. That's what he means. They were chasing after him. Uh, but Giovanni does not know this, and you know, we've already given plenty of spoiler warnings. So at this point, like, I don't know. For me, it really hit at the end when at the end of the film, basically Giovanni finds out that Campanella is dead and that he's like, he's been guiding him through the afterlife or like moving on, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's what the train is. It's like the, it's like the train that takes you to your final destination, your final resting place. It's like the, it's like a limbo between worlds or something. And uh, whenever Giovanni, he kind of discovers it while on the train, but then he doesn't really like, he doesn't really, it doesn't really get it, you know, like even though he gets it because uh, he's like crying and stuff and it's very emotional. It made me cry the first time I watched it. Um, but like then he, it's like he, whenever he wakes up from the train sequence, it's like he just assumes it was all a dream and goes on about his day and then finds out Campanella is dead. Um, so there you go. Spoiled the whole fucking movie. Uh, which is well, what we're here to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're here to talk about it. If you didn't watch, like, honestly, also, I would say that since we're kind of just talking, we didn't have like a big outline. We're not interviewing anyone. If you're just listening to this and you've never watched either of these movies, I mean, thank you. But also, like, this probably makes no fucking sense. <laughs> um, but so I think one thing about uh Campanella and his whole character, it was a, uh, and I said this earlier. It gives Lovely Bones vibe, and if you've never seen the Lovely Bones or never read the book, really, really sad, really tra- traumatic, really hard mm-hmm. to to watch and read. It's a YA novel and uh, about someone who is. I mean, I think it will say this if you Google the things. I don't think this is much of a spoiler, but it's basically about a person who is killed, and they're like discovering their like killer, like like solving their own murders, like a murder mystery type thing almost. But they're yeah. figuring it out. But after they figure it out, they're like, well, shit, where am I if I'm dead? And they're just in heaven and they kind of have to accept that, you know, and it's right. not necessarily heaven, but it's, it's kind of what we would, I mean, that's the closest word I can think of. Well, they, they refer to it as heaven. In the, yes, yes. In the and and it, in this film too, in, in the railroad film, um, like Campanella's like bad once he, he realized that he's dead, but then he's like, all right, I gotta go. I'm about to like go to the afterlife. I'm about to go to true heaven for me. 
right. you sit tight and he's just like running through the train you know Giovanni's like trying to find him he's like nah I'm gonna go to heaven now and uh that that was the vibe that really that and you know also let's talk about the story with the human children that just came on the train which that was very jarring they were in the same art style but it was like I wait know. I thought we were cat people uh are you telling me and also the story of the human children who died sound like they died in the titanic specifically in that yeah, specific in, crash yeah, so I'm like, yeah are they in our universe these cat people like is yeah. it canon like <laughs> where do they they live in this fictional holland is this, has is, this is this just earth too what's happening here you know? yeah like, it's just an alternate reality where cats are just walking and wearing vests but no pants fucking cat earth or something yeah oh god uh, but no, I also want to say about like Campanella, like just dipping out and being like, cool, I'm going to, to the true heaven or whatever. Doesn't it strike you as like visually similar to the nothing? Yes. Uh, and that's what I was thinking was really interesting because it says there was like people, they went to the Christian heaven, right? And then there was a true heaven. And honestly, that was really, I don't want to say confusing, but the reason why it's kind of confusing is because they used a lot of Christian stuff in the movie after the Christian heaven, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just like it seems like the true heaven was like nothing. But also another way I looked at it was the true heaven was just space, the vastness of space, and mm-hmm. um, you know, we uh people are stars. So like he like Campanella was just going on to be like a star ball of energy. Uh so right. but yes, it did it did it did look like nothing. But if that's true, then you know, and we talked about how the nothingness is death uh itself, then true heaven is because we don't know what it is. It is death right. itself. And it, it may right. be even the acceptance of, like, I don't know what this is. And he saw it was true heaven. He said, oh, yeah, look at it. It's beautiful. And Giovanni's like, uh, you tripping? Ain't nothing out there. <laughs> <That's>, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's dark. It's, there's nothing out there, boy. Like, Also, uh, I'm scared. And I sat here and had this monologue about how, like, it'll be fine because we're together, you know? Like, he literally <laughs> just said, like, hey, you know what? I, you know, I'm going to probably accept that maybe my father's gone. Maybe my mom might go too. But anyway, I'm with you, Campanella. He's like, yeah, anyway, I'm going to go die right quick. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. go to my final rest. I'm going to the upper room, you know? Yeah, so it's just like salt in the wounds of everything. Because Giovanni, like, finally, like, he's like, the like, Giovanni, you could tell he, like, wanted to get closer to Campanella. And I feel like he does over the course of the movie. And it's, like, very satisfying to him. And he's like, you know, you know what? I'm actually going to bring a Nietzsche quote in this. Nietzsche says something along the lines of like, with the proper why, I can endure any what or how. Um, and so, like you know, like Giovanni's like, I found my why. I found my reason to live. It's for my. It's I'm living with my friend. I'm having a good time, despite all the other bullshit going on, you know. And then it's like, no, actually, he's dead too. <laughs> it's like, god damn it, the salt in the wounds, you know, like. <laughs> but it does seem like giovanni though does find some way to say okay i have hope and to move forward because he he's like i'm gonna be like the scorpion from the metaphor of and we're gonna talk about the sick titanic children people um human people in the video why don't you just tell their story and then like uh, yeah it's just it's so weird so basically at one stop i'm trying to see exactly where it is i guess it doesn't matter but there's a stop where um a human like um man and a, a young girl and then a younger boy go on the train and they don't even ask to sit down they just kind of sit down on the same seats as giovanni <laughs> and they don't ask and i think this is funny because everyone else asks 
which is yeah. funny considering that this is just Giovanni's imagination like he's like everyone's polite except for these humans right, right. Um, but they're very they, presumptuous aren't they yeah and they just sit next to Captain Love. and this is also presumptuous so he doesn't say like hi my name is this he was just like I was on a boat and these children I got like tasked with taking care of these children their father right. asked me to take care of these children and he just like starts telling the story and like right. the whole time Giovanni's just looking at him with a shock face like what yeah, yeah giovanni asks everybody else about their story these kids just start fucking telling their story you know they yes. sit down and they just like raw dog you with it and it's just like what the fuck's going on like how did we end up with human beings on this fucking train everyone's been a cat so far or some kind of you know i feel like they're all been cats you know yeah so, like, everyone's a cat. yeah yeah so like why why all of a sudden I don't and, and I don't understand. I can't like make any like allegorical sense of this. You know, it's just like, oh, just by the way, there are people on the train. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, and they and they basically they say um like, "Hey, uh we were on a ship and it sank and their their tutor or mentor guy who was tasked with taking care of them was like, I was thinking it would be easier to like end their pain by like jumping off the boat and like you know unaliving and that's what he kept saying but then he was like oh i realized that i needed to be there for them because there were so many people and survivors who made it onto like these emergency boats and um when you know mothers and children would get separated she, she he's you know this mentor guy saw how like heartbreaking it was so he was like i guess i'm just gonna stay on the ship and he just stayed with the kids until it sank which makes sense because when the kids first come in you see this little boy he has only one shoe on i was like why the fuck he don't got one sh he only has one shoe on and it's because one of the shoes floated away it's like wow this is sad this is traumatic we just saw you know three people drown and they show it they don't show them like gasping for anything but they're just like kind of floating down to the bottom yeah and um then somebody like create like like then the like mentor guy has an apple he's like let's share and he just duplicates it in his hands <laughs> <laughs> yeah like like jesus splitting the bread and fish or whatever yes so he's just like yeah let's i'm just gonna boop i'm just gonna multiply this and um it's it's very mystical and yeah. uh but then the little it, girl tells the, the story of the scorpius right the scorpion thing well, also I wanted to say before you do that, uh, he also hands a piece of uh, he hands an apple, like a duplicated apple, to Giovanni, and then Giovanni just duplicates it too and hands it to uh, Campanella. <laughs> you know, like so it's like oh, like now Giovanni can duplicate apples. Yeah, he just suddenly has the power. Yeah, yeah, it, it's so strange. It's very much like when there was a ticket master who came up out of nowhere and he was like, "Tickets, please!" And Giovanni had a ticket. Um, the guy, you know, cat daddy next to him had his ticket. And then, I'm sorry, not Giovanni, I'm at Campanella. But then Giovanni, they go, and he's, like, looking for a ticket. And it's, like, that awkward moment when, like, an older person asks you if you have change. And you know you don't have change, but you have to pretend to look. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, and, he uh... just, and the guy's just like, tickets, please. <laughs> like, ticket, give me your ticket. I know you yeah. got one. <laughs> like, oh, God, please, please, Mr. Spirit, don't kick me off into the void. <laughs> right. And then he, he finds a ticket. And his ticket is not like a little slip of paper. It's like a whole, like, you know. It's a big a card. Yeah, yeah, it's like an A11, you know, sheet of paper. And he, he's like, oh, this is uh, quite special. You got a special ticket. Ain't nobody got a special a ticket like you. And yeah, he, like, says, he says, did you get this in the third dimension? <laughs> Which is so weird because I'm like, okay, what is Giovanni's imagination up to? Because like, wait, are we not in a, another dimension already? 
Um, he's, he's obviously he's like I feel like the the very first shot where the camera pans down it like floats like a like a feather falling it floats down into the school and like it shows that Giovanni's like sleeping and it like floats down into Giovanni like he's having an out of body experience right this this kid can actual project let's be real right like yeah. I I it's canon Giovanni can actual project well it makes it would if he can actual project it would make sense to how he would know that Campanella drowned in the river because he was not there at the time right he was not he would not know that he was even going to the river yeah he, until he got, got the information later yeah. yeah he even he even got to the festival he was sleeping on a hill somewhere in the woods yeah when that happened and we know that it was 45 minutes exactly for a different reason we'll get to that in a little bit but um basically after all of this after the apples and the little ticket um the children talk about the story of a scorpion um who who escaped uh who perished after escaping a weasel um the stories on wikipedia i don't really want to explain that much but basically the the point was that the scorpion like wanted to be like hmm i should live my life sacrificing myself for something good instead of like living with regrets and um that story comes a a little bit later because that's like one of the biggest things that kind of stuck with giovanni um after the whole christian heaven and true heaven where campanella went but and that's um, how the scorpion becomes a constellation because of that yes yes and and it's funny because i'm like scorpius is a constellation so it's not like yeah (laughs) he he invented it but i guess actually you know what this film is really old uh i mean the the book's really old 1930 maybe he did create scorpius maybe he discovered that one (laughs) i think that's from like the greeks or older (laughs) it is it is it is um but um essentially we know at the end of this movie giovanni wakes up and he's like oh gosh the milk (laughs) i gotta get that milk yeah yeah (laughs) and so he goes to the farmers and they're like oh yeah i'm so sorry i forgot to drop your milk off here's some milk and he's like okay he's like i'm sorry he's like yeah no worries and then he's like oh i want to go downtown and go to festival lights but he's just like i gotta go home and then uh somebody maybe bully number unnamed cat bully number two was just like hey um the campanella's missing he was like he fell into the river he was saving zanelli and uh you should go like zanelli's at home his dad took him and giovanni's like what the fuck this happened in my dream so he goes down to the river everyone's looking everyone's doing all this stuff and then we go to who i assume i only assume is it is campanella's dad so campanella's dad's like thank you so much for coming and then he's just like it's been 45 minutes we can probably stop looking now is what he's he way he's way too chill he's calm as hell i'm like your son just drowned in a river yeah. you said stop looking i don't even i don't care even like and maybe this is just like i mean i've seen a lot of drama films and maybe this is like in real life maybe this is like this cat's like is a psychopath or something but i think well, about go ahead I just think the fact that most parents or most people who, even if you're not a parent, but you, if you've like had a niece or nephew help raise a child, even if you know some rational and if you saw them drown, you'd be like, I'm not going to stop looking. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like he's bougie though. I think that might maybe play a factor because he's got like a fancy suit on a fancy watch. He's all suave and, and Chad like, you know, I feel like this, this guy, I, I think that he's just kind of some, like you said, a, like a some kind of sociopath, psychopath. I think that actually probably applies. I think he, I think he's some bougie psycho. Oh yeah. Also, I'm looking up here, and I, I almost forgot about this part. Basically, after you know, 
Camp Mello's dad's like, oh, I'm going to give up. Like, it's okay. We've looked for long enough. He told Giovanni that um, he got a letter letter from Giovanni's father. And the letter said that he was going to be home soon. Yeah. And I'm like, it was just really weird that he told him that. And after that, Giovanni goes and like, oh, I know Camp Luna's in a good place. He's at the edge of the universe. You know, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring happiness. I'm gonna, and, I'm gonna, you know. Okay, that adds to the psychopathy because, like, why is Giovanni friends with, or why is why is Campanella's dad friends with Giovanni's dad, and Campanella's dad is obviously well off, and yet. Giovanni's over here struggling. They squall it. They live it in squalor. They yeah. are, you know, they ain't doing well. Like the mama is sick. The, this little boy is working a, a, a like a, a five to eleven job or something. You yeah. know, like help your homies' kids. You know, like damn. No, I just I don't know. I also think well, I think there's a this is a big parallel and crossover to the uh, uh never ending story. Both of the dads are psychos because. Egg and orange juice drink, disgusting. And then saying it's been forty. He literally because it, it would be one thing if the narrator or someone or someone back was like, "It's been forty five minutes." But he said, "It's been forty five minutes." I think we should stop looking. Like, is that how much <laughs> yeah. time you have? You only have forty five minutes to look for your son. That's it. Yeah, it's crazy. It is. It's it's something else. So you know, maybe maybe you know, there's a little hint of of postmodernism there. <laughs> you know, in the. Uh, in the the campanella story but yeah um but i want to see if there's something to say oh yeah well i think we talked about the pacing and how it's kind of slow but this film is really beautiful i feel like it's something that you should give a watch and this one really talked about grief and and death and loss in a really special way because pretty much we can assume everyone who's on the train has died and we saw someone on the train died there was a guy who was like yeah i catch fish here's some heron and they were like you just eat dead birds and the cats were disgusted which is hilarious because they're cats and they love eating dead birds in real life um (laughs) but this cat guy uh like this fisherman style guy who's you know coming to get these herons he's like yeah here taste them and he breaks off a piece of the legs and all of a sudden they're like flat and they're like candy (laughs) and the kids just start eating it um but then he gets off at his stop and his heaven is him like strangling down some birds and putting them into a bag and and then he just gets attacked by birds and then he he fizzles into nothing yeah, yeah. and i'm and it's that's kind of strange but i think that's kind of like the first real death thing we see yeah um we, we see him pass into whatever it is that he passed into yes and but we don't we don't we're not we don't really understand what happened we just like if he fucking he got absorbed into the ground like what happened yeah and well and maybe that's because it was like the one of the first stops so maybe that was like you know the first time a kid sees uh, or a person even sees death they're like yeah they just went to the ground and then with more nuance it's like well they're going to christian heaven they're going to you know well all these little cat nuns and then it's like oh maybe they're going to nothing like maybe it's just like you know because this film one thing i think i wrote down in my notes when we were watching is contemplative and i underlined it a whole bunch of times because it's very very like we're really really wrapped into like giovanni's like strange world and like it's um it's like it starts off as just like ah he's a child and he's got like a whole bunch of hard stuff and then it goes into this like deep philosophical notion of like what is death 
what is the afterlife what do these things look like and i also i don't know how like I, the religious bent to it is really strange to me because they sing um him 306 in this film um which is nearer my god to thee um that's what it basically says in in the in the hymn and it's it's kind of strange because it's like it seems like giovanni holds on to that i think he says something like about the hymn later at the very end of the the story but also i'm like if christian heaven isn't the real heaven isn't i wouldn't say the real heaven if it's not the true heaven then you know what what is like yeah. what, why why put these christian messages in the book i mean we see this huge cross we have these hymns they have this like kind of christian type music in the background um I feel like that's something kind of hard for me to understand. Something you said, and I don't know how to what degree you picked up on this, but you definitely at least helped me realize it, uh, was that like the order that things happen on the train. So I'm like, I'm like panning through right now. So like the first thing that happens is they go into that city and then they find like fossils, right? Mm -hmm. This is before they meet the Heron guy. That was at the, this is the first stop. They don't actually, there's not a, there's not, anyone's story here right no one so at this point in time no one has died but this is the first encounter with death and it is like you know there were things that were alive in the past and they're not anymore there's things like fossils and stuff yada yada Mm -hmm. and so like then the second one is is like you said the heron thing where the guy where like they they see the guy then they don't see him and he's in the ground right and so it's like now like we've we're at, we're at like death understanding level two at this point it's like the order like you were saying like the order that kids like like develop and learn about death right and then like then it's the hymn right so like they they get primed with like the hymn and the hymn is talking about like the afterlife and this concept of like you know like 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 it's expanding and this is making death more rich or whatever and then is whenever they bring in the children and that's i feel like the the children's story is the most blatantly like ter like like terrifying like horrible and they're know. about the same age as giovanni and campanella like the older girl is and the younger boy is you know just like maybe a couple years younger we pay like two or three years younger maybe even five but mm-hmm. that i feel like because the girl was talking directly to them and i think that's what it made it so scary because at first it was the parent explaining and i'm saying parent in a pseudo way because we know this is not the kid's parents but it kind of reminds me of um and i've i haven't had to deal with this because when i was a kid i don't think anyone very very, very close to me died um but when people in movies or what i've seen in real life people tell me you know when you're explaining death to a kid it's usually like a parent it's like hey this is what happened but then we might see like again like i said in movies we might see like the parents saying like oh well uh you know Susie's dad died and blah 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 and then later you hear Susie talk about it yeah and it's like it hit different because you yeah. told me like and then so then so then the step after that after like someone like like you being kind of close to death but it not being right up in your face the the last stage is campanella's death which is like his best friend dies right yes and so it's like now now you fully you fully understand death at this point like you've fully been faced with it so it's like yeah yeah like uh that's really i didn't i didn't pick up on that but that definitely is structured that way like just it it's a it's a development of learning about death over time Hmm, very 
And I would offer that uh, Never Ending Story is also in, in each kind of big phase of the book. It's like a more, we get more of an understanding of death or nothingness um, as the story goes on. And I think that's like to help out, um, to, to, to help out Bastion. And uh, you've seen Never Ending Story 2 and 3, right? I saw the second one whenever I was really little, but I don't remember anything about it. I remember like the childlike empress, uh, she was like, like they were like stealing her memories and turning it into little like fucking marbles or some shit. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it was, I, I, as as far as I remember, it wasn't as good. Um, it was, but it was harder to, it was harder for me to follow. I feel like even though the never ending story has like a lot to offer me as an as an adult like to chew on about like you know it's political shit like i don't think that it's too hard to do to to understand as a kid you know what i mean it's yeah it's not sophisticated in a way where it's like opaque but i feel like the second one was like what what am i supposed to be getting out of this you know yeah i i, I guess i asked about that because i'm like i don't know what they would have planned to do because it seems like the the nothingness should have been should be like the most important part and if it, if the nothingness isn't in the second movie or third then i don't think it is i think i think in the second movie it's like something about like memories and like loss of memory so mm. You know, maybe, you know, best case scenario, they're talking about like Alzheimer's or something. Yeah, that uh, would. But, but we could we could watch them because I think that this um, episode about like child, like children's movies that ha- that deal with, you know, tough issues like like children's movies that deal with emotional content that people normally try to protect children from. Uh, from even like like in, in being aware of whatsoever, you know, like even though like the kids are dealing with it in their lives anyway and it'd probably be better if they had some you know art and media to like help them digest these things whatever uh <laughs> obviously i'm a, I'm a little upset uh but i think that we should do another episode on this um yeah but with because because i'm thinking the two films that come to my mind is my neighbor totoro mm-hmm. and, and all dogs go to heaven um as being two other films that deal with like you know these like like difficult themes of like death or like sickness and and like um and i mean yeah yeah i think we should, but so since we're since we if we're gonna do a second episode we could probably just watch the never-ending story too and if we find it worthwhile we can talk about it yeah and we'll just kind of update it and, and come back to you guys with it uh i mean honestly I, i'm gonna be real to you if i'm not like entertained in the first 10 minutes i'm not gonna watch it because sequels <laughs> sequels of films like this usually never hit as right. good you know, I mean, I want to say the only sequel that's ever slapped harder than the first, in my opinion, and don't come at me, is Toy Story 2 kind of slapped harder than the first. And then Toy Story 3 or 4, whatever the most recent one was, that was probably like crazy. I mean, all of them are good, but that one was crazy. But I mean, think about it. Lion King 2, other than, you know, my namesake yeah. character, Kiara, being introduced, what was that movie for? Well, the Who classic. Asked? The classic example of the rare success of like the second one being better than the first is uh, the Empire Strikes Back from Star Wars. 
Yeah, I'm not a Star Wars person. I've never seen it, but I believe it. I believe it. I'll see them one day. I will watch all the Star Wars one, one, one day, but I'm a Trekkie, and there's so much stuff to get through with that. But I believe it because, you know, I think sometimes uh, people don't really know what the fuck they're doing with the first one. They're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall, and people yeah. really like it, but then the second one, they kind of learn from it. I think it's a lot better in TV. Like, we yeah. most, you know, season one's usually, like, really rough. But season two is amazing. You know what I would argue? I would argue that the original Dark Souls is the is as another example of the sequel being better than the original because the original is really it's called Demon Souls, right? And that oh. was the one that was the one where they didn't really know what they were doing. They were trying to figure shit out, you know, and they're throwing shit at the wall, and it, it's like really clunky and like you know it's not great. But like Dark Souls, that's demon. That is that is Demon Souls too, and they figured some shit out in that one. Anyway, I don't want to sit here and make a podcast about raving about Dark Souls. People have done that a million times. Oh, that's okay. We we got plenty of stuff. I do want to. I mean, I this could be a complete mess of an episode and all over the place. But I do want to get you guys excited for the next time. I'm not sure in which order these will be released, but the next thing that we are going to be watching and probably going to get a little guest, uh, a guest host, guest interviewer, Greg, for my Liberation Theology episode, we're going to get him on here for is uh, Tokyo Godfathers and. Oh, yeah. um, not to get into that too much, but I think it's going to be really good because we're going to talk about class. We're going to talk yeah. about gender. We're yeah. going to talk about found family. It's going to get yeah. to tissues. It's going to be sad. Yeah. And and that actually uh, brings up a point of like, I think that we should tell our listeners some of our backroom uh, discussions about the future of the podcast and, and the direction we want to take it. Because we've talked about how we want to do these like, big intellectual episodes where we try hard even though we're all you know at least speaking for myself i know i'm kind of dumb uh you know where we really try to give like a lot of meat to chew on uh like for example the episode we did with dr hayes um or the the episode that we did i don't know if it's out yet but uh the episode on organizing where we like we've got the nitty-gritty detail about like how to make a union um like we want to, we want to give those episodes, but those episodes take a lot of work. And on top of it, it could be exhausting. Maybe not just for us, but also possibly for our listeners if everything is just like this, like ordeal every time. So we we want to throw in some, maybe with more like the attitude that we've come at this episode with, where it's more kind of like lighthearted, low effort, and um, a little bit more on the uh, you know brain dead thembo. Uh, angle of things where we're just like Low effort yeah. easy listening you know what i mean yeah, yeah. and also andy don't talk about my friend like that you're not dumb to talk about my friend like that um <laughs> but I, no but i think that i think that we've definitely like yeah there's been there's been you know some interesting stuff that we said in here but it, it was definitely easier to make this one for me at least yeah <laughs> than, than some of the other ones oh yeah definitely and i and i kind of want to see if i can do a kind of in between for the tokyo godfathers episode because i have a lot of like interesting um as you say, like intellectual things about it, but also I think it's just a really fun ride. And also I don't remember the ending and neither does, uh, neither do you that well. And then neither no. does Greg. And I think that's why it'd be really good to rewatch it because something tells me it's different than a way I expected, but yes, expect kind of a kind of easy listening, low effort, just kind of us reviewing media or just talking about things like our pride episode. Um, expect a lot of those mixed in with interviews and dissections of, really really serious topics i mean i do think grief and kids media and also exploring kids media 
that cover um, more meaningful topics, for lack of a better term, uh, is really important. But I think it shows that we kind of just, you know, we're just talking, just having a chat this time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think maybe like accidentally there's elements of of this conversation that do kind of like really follow the mission statement of of the rotten core talking about imperialism and and, and imperial decay. I mean, in just in that like we're talking about like postmodern condition and nihilism and yada yada and like that's like all like a a product of, you know, the the modern industrial world, you know. So I mean, if if you came here for that, you got a little bit of it at the very least. But it was an accident. We really just wanted to talk about cool movies. <laughs> I just want to say, uh, our producer told us. I I had my phone on Do Not Disturb, so I wasn't seeing. But our producer told us um, <laughs> screenshot this this thing from Reddit, and it says. In the never-ending story, Bastion's dad cracks an egg into a glass of OJ and drinks it raw. This is often used as a hangover cure. Bastion's father told him that he needs to get his head out of the clouds, but he himself could not. Um, I don't know okay. a better way to end the podcast. <laughs> I don't great. know a better way. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, uh, great episode. Uh, Cut it before I say this. Well, no, I will say if you want to get at us, if you want to talk to us about the egg, the egg oh, yeah. and orange juice thing, if you want to talk to us about anything weird, if there's anything cool that we missed or anything that you think is like fun and intricate, or if you want to talk about the fact that some of them are wearing vests and some of them are wearing pants, please email us <laughs> at the rotten core pod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you and we will see you next time. <laughs> Bye, everybody.